Flight by Light, a light sail preview this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome, I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. This time we've got a special look ahead at the mission of LightSail 2. I may already be on Florida's space coast as you hear this, eagerly, anxiously looking forward to the launch of the Planetary Society's little CubeSat. Bruce Betts and Jason Davis will tell you what to expect in minutes, and we've got a special treat at the end of today's show when Society CEO Bill Nye the Science Guy will explain the basics of solar sailing. What's Up with Bruce is also ahead. We'll begin by spending a few minutes with the Chief Operating Officer of the Planetary Society, Jennifer Vaughn was already Bill's second-in-command when our test mission, LightSail 1, lifted off. She is even more excited to see this first attempt to use the light of the sun to propel our silver-winged spacecraft. Jennifer, we don't hear from you often enough on Planetary Radio. This certainly gives us a wonderful uh, reason, I was going to say excuse, <laughs> to get you heard directly on the show. Uh, thank you for joining us to talk a little bit about this uh, wonderful mission that is about to begin. Thank you, Matt. I am so excited to be here, and I am fired up about LightSail. <laughs> As are we all. Ten years in the making. Uh, take us back to the beginnings of, of this project, and, and then we'll talk about the even earlier work that the Society uh, did with solar sailing. Yeah, so depending on where you want to start that history uh, line with us, uh, it can go much further back than 10 years. But 10 years is really what was the beginning of light sail. For those who have been following along with us and know our story, we had some. We had an earlier attempt at solar sailing, but after a failed rocket launch, we went back to the drawing board. We hit the ground and said, "Hey, what should we do?" And we went to our members and said, "What do you want us to do? Do you want us to try again, or should we just move on and do something else?" And our members came out and said very loudly and very proudly, "Try again. Do this again." So with that, we went and said, okay, well, what could be different this time around? And where might we have an opportunity with solar sailing? And that question, line of questioning, led us to the design of a very small spacecraft and a propulsion me mechanism that might work for other small spacecraft. And that became LightSail. Four years ago, we had LightSail 1. And I know you get this question all the time because all of us do. Didn't we prove that we uh, could pull this off four years ago? We proved that we could pull off some of it years ago. <laughs> so what's really important to remember with LightSail 1 is there was no solar sailing. LightSail 1 was 100% a demonstration of the sail deployment. All we were doing was making sure that we could get a spacecraft in orbit, we could talk to the spacecraft, and we could deploy the sail safely. And then it got pulled back into, into Earth's atmosphere. So it was over. There was no sailing. We were proud of ourselves and it was exciting. And the world was along that journey with us. But really, all we did was prove that the deployer worked. So this is our first chance at really proving solar sailing in Earth orbit. And that means controlling our spacecraft every 90 minutes when it passes. We have to actively control that sail. Let's go back to that earlier project that you uh, alluded to, Cosmos One. 
which is uh, was the real first uh, attempt by the Planetary Society to uh, to fly a solar sail. Yeah, so it seems like a million years ago right now, and it really was quite a long time ago. So 2005 is when we launched Cosmos 1. And of course, it was many years in the making. So we really can trace back our history in solar sailing as far as the Planetary Society's investment in a project all the way back to 1999. So we're at a 20-year anniversary of when this first, when the idea first started being cooked at the Planetary Society. Could we, as a citizen-funded group, have our own solar sail mission, our own planet, our own mission in general? But solar sail was what we were targeted on. And that became Cosmos One, which was a wonderful partnership with a number of contacts that our previous executive director, Lou Friedman, made in Russia, uh, along with the support of Andrian. So Andrian was our key financial sponsor of Cosmos One. And our members were absolutely behind as backers of the mission. And all together, we came up with this very large, elegant, eight-bladed sail. It was much, much more complex than light sail is. And there are pros and cons to that. Complex doesn't necessarily mean better. (laughs) It just was a much more complex spacecraft. And we got it built. We got it tested. We got it ready to go. We launched it. And then we heard it was in the ocean. Yeah. You and I were there uh, 14 years ago. I mean, Lou Friedman was actually there for the launch of Cosmos One from from a Russian submarine, uh, but all of us were in the old home of the Planetary Society, following along. And there's no getting around that it was a, a tremendous disappointment, but uh, something that I'm still very proud of. Oh, absolutely! And I think all of our members should be very, very proud. Again, this is history in the making for citizen-funded spacecraft, and they started with Cosmos. And it was quite the letdown. But again, they, they rallied behind the organization. They were enthusiastic about trying again. And here we are. We're right on the precipice, ready to launch again. And I have very high hopes that this is going to go great this time. Yeah, you and me both. Um, you mentioned Andrew Ian, who uh, probably everyone knows, was the partner in every way of uh, one of our three founders, Carl Sagan. And of course, since then has been very busy creating things like uh, Cosmos. And, and in fact, that's how she and Carl met the first time around for the first edition of Cosmos that starred Carl Sagan. But she has also been um, the creator of the Latter Day Cosmos series. Longtime supporter, both uh, monetarily of projects like this, but certainly her heart is uh, has always been with us as well. Didn't she have a role in the genesis of, of the LightSail project? She did. She has a role. I mean, she... Anne's a visionary, very much like Carl and Lou and Bruce Murray, our founders. Anne, too, is a visionary. And she saw, she was, of course, saddened by the loss of Cosmos One. She had very high hopes and she put a lot behind that mission. So it was a sad day. But when we had the opportunity to look forward to another step, it was Anne who really came out in our on our behalf and helped us raise the initial funding to do a study. And that study is what led us to see what we could do with small spacecraft and maybe a high-powered propulsion mechanism like solar sailing. And we might be able to really take a dent into solving this problem of how do you 
fly small spacecraft with very little fuel. Take us back uh, one more time uh, to four years ago, the launch of LightSail-1 and its successful mission, and and what that meant for the Planetary Society and those tens of thousands of people around the world who who supported that that first test. I think our supporters have been wonderfully patient. Space projects take a long, long time, and there's just no Mm -hmm. way around that. But 10 years since the failure of of Cosmos 1, before they had an opportunity to see this project fly again. And it was such a high point. I remember sitting on the bleachers, watching that rocket go off. And as Ah, soon as I started to see, just lose sight of the rocket as it started to curve off in the distance, I started blubbering. I just couldn't believe that the (laughs) spacecraft was finally where it belonged, no longer on Earth. It was never meant to live here on Earth. It was meant to go off and do something. And it was so exciting to see that and to know that regardless of what we learned from the test, we got to this point. We were actually going to be able to test something in space. And we had highs and lows. It was a roller coaster ride with Light Sail One. A lot worked. Some things didn't work so well. In the end, we were able to prove out everything we wanted to prove out. So it was a success. The sails deployed. We got that beautiful picture of the sail, shiny sail with the sun in the distance. Now I'm excited to get so many more pictures and actually be able to prove out that we can change our orbit through sailing, not just deploying the sail. I was so proud to be sitting uh, one row on those bleachers below you and Bill Nye, our CEO of the Planetary Society, uh, four years ago. I sure look forward to uh, repeating that experience. Is that where we're going to be again on those bleachers? Maybe not on the bleachers, but in the same area with that same beautiful view of, of all the rocket pads, really. It's it, from that area of KSC. It's such a gorgeous place to, to view rocket launches. We'll be there. We'll be there with hundreds of Planetary Society members and supporters. Uh, if you're listening to this right away, you might still be able to get a ticket and go and join us there. It's going to be wonderful fun. Uh, really a moment, unlike in my world at least, unlike any other that I've had in my history. Uh, so it, it's very memorable. It's history in the making. We're very excited to be doing this again. You went exactly where I was hoping to, and the opportunity that may still exist for people to join us, not just for the launch, but for other things happening around it, Uh, a member briefing that that I'll be involved with, and even beyond the events that we are planning for members and others at KSC, the Kennedy Space Center, we are uh, encouraging and even providing some guidance to, uh, to others who might want to create their own sort of grassroots celebration of this mission. You got it. We want people everywhere celebrating, watching, bringing their friends together, telling people about this project. So if you want to host a launch party, if you want tools to help spread the word on social media or to your friends, to your family, we have videos, we have resources, we have toolkits that you can download if you want to get out there and volunteer in your community. This is an exciting time, again, to show the importance of grassroots organizations like the Planetary Society and what we all can do collectively. When we bring our passion together and we set an audacious dream, we can, we can get there. So it's a great moment to try to rally that spirit. 
Thank you, Jennifer. I can't wait. I I sure hope uh, that things don't slip, or at least not by much, and that on that uh, evening of the 24th of June, uh, we watch that big Falcon Heavy carry light sail up into uh, Earth orbit. Go light sail. (laughs) Go light sail. (laughs) Go light sail. That's Jennifer Vaughn, the Chief Operating Officer of the Planetary Society. Uh, Looking forward to that launch. Me too. Bruce Betts is not just the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. He has served as LightSail program manager for many years, coordinating the many elements that must come together for a successful mission. Planetary Society digital editor Jason Davis is also our embedded reporter in the project. No journalist knows the effort better or has spent more time writing about it. Bruce, Jason, thank you very much. Great to get both of you on at the same time to talk about this this imminent launch. We just heard from Jennifer about how excited she is, and I, I shared my own <laughs> similar emotions regarding this. How are you guys uh, feeling in these last days leading up toward what we hope, at least, will be the launch of LightSail? Excited, man. Really, really excited. <laughs> and, uh, and, and a little tense. Yeah. Well, I don't know anybody who's got better reason to be a little bit tense about it. Uh, Jason, the same? The same. And I'm just, uh, having gone through the first time around, I'm always a little bit nervous. But um, no, I'm feeling good about it as we um, as we get close here, that things, things are looking good. So let's keep it that way. <laughs> where are we now, or, or maybe better stated as where is LightSail 2 right now? Right now, this spacecraft is at Kennedy Space Center in the possession, presumably, of SpaceX, uh, either already mounted on the launch vehicle or about to be mounted on the launch vehicle. We're hoping we um, might get a picture of it, but that's not confirmed yet. But we know that it's down there and it's either on the vehicle already or getting close to being on the vehicle with Prox-1. It's inside Prox-1, right, Bruce? Yes. So it's inside the Georgia Tech uh, spacecraft. Prox-1 and will be ejected from Prox-1 a week after launch. Is this Prox-1's main function now uh, is basically to uh, babysit uh, LightSail 2 and, until it says goodbye seven days later? Yeah, I think that's the, the, the main thing, but it's a student-built spacecraft, so it's demonstrating the, the ability to do this. It was selected along with LightSail as part of the inside of it by the University Nanosat program of the Air Force and Department of Defense for this mm. launch. That's how we ended up with the launch to an altitude which is higher than usual and useful to us for solar sailing. At this point, is LightSail 2 essentially on its own, or at least in, in the sense that you know we, we can't any longer top off the batteries? It, and, and is it just fast asleep for the moment? Yes, it is in technical terms, chilling hard inside Prox-1. We'll be inside the rocket. We did the last top off of the batteries a couple months ago and delivered it for integration at AFRL, Air Force Research Laboratory, into Prox-1. It will remain dormant until it is deployed from Prox-1. I want to know when you guys last stood in the presence of the spacecraft. I'm wondering if I had that opportunity more recently than you because of that visit I made up to uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Jason, when when did you last see LightSail 2? I think the last time I saw it was at Cal Poly. I'm just trying to think which specific test it was. Um, It might have been the last day in the life test. And if that's the case, then it has definitely 
been a year, I would say, um, if, wow. if not more, that uh, we kind of put it in storage and um, didn't get it out much after that. Bruce? I last saw it more than a year ago. So, yes, Matt, you saw it last. Mm. <laughs> I win. Did you touch it, Matt? Uh, give it one I last can... goodbye poke or anything? If so, you shouldn't I, tell us. Yeah. I warned you not to touch it. <laughs> I know. I told the people there at Cal Poly, I said, if anything goes wrong, because they slid it out of the, the little peapod carrier, and I said, you know what Bruce is going to do to me if anything <laughs> happens to this spacecraft because I'm here and you want to show it to me? And they kept saying, ah, no, no, it's no problem, no problem at all. I um, want names. <laughs> yeah, when we return to the scene of the crime, we're going to say, who was the last person to actually see the spacecraft? And um... No, you, you, come on, guys. It's, it's, you, Jason, you especially know that I must protect my sources. So. <laughs> right, right. Are we working any issues? Is is everything hunky-dory, to use a technical term? Yeah, everything's uh, pretty hunky-dory. We're uh, doing things you do when launches actually are really finally going to happen. So we're reviewing the operations procedures and making sure we're all comfortable and happy with that and the choices we've made and reviewing the timing and trying to guess what orbit it's going to be in and do predictions of ground station passes. So it's it's we're doing things, but the spacecraft is in pretty good shape as far as we know, and we did an awful lot of testing to try to confirm that. You already mentioned, Bruce, that uh, it'll be seven days uh, being carried by Prox-1 uh, before LightSail is ejected into space on its own. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Then what? Take us through sort of the, the timeline uh, from that point where uh, it says goodbye to Prox-1. And I guess that's nearly seven days after Prox-1 itself has left the Falcon Heavy. Yeah, so it's actually seven days after Prox-1 leaves the Falcon Heavy. It leaves the Falcon Heavy about an hour and 20 minutes after launch in the second set of deployment, uh, the second orbit that they deploy spacecraft into from the rocket. LightSail 2 is in Prox-1 for one week, and then the timer goes off, and you don't hear it because it's in space, but <laughs> the, the spacecraft knows, and it ejects. LightSail 2 using a basically jack-in-the-box mechanism, the Cal Poly-developed P-Pod. And a few minutes later, LightSail 2 will automatically deploy its little antenna that it uses for radio communications and will begin what should be pretty much constantly transmitting a beacon signal that gives us basic spacecraft information and data, telemetry data, as well as a Morse code signal of its call sign that will occur every 45 seconds or so. By then we'll know the orbit, so we'll be able to calculate tracking passes at our ground stations and start to establish communications, do all the things in our procedure plans, establishing the initial setup of the spacecraft after testing how it's going and what's going on. And then a few days after launch, we will deploy the solar panels so it opens up and uh, then we'll do another checkout and a day or two later deploy the solar sails. And so that's about a little less than a week or a week. We'll see. Depends on how things are going, what the communications passes are. And we'll start solar sailing where we go face on to the sun for half an orbit and edge on for half an orbit and use that to increase the orbit 
in a measurable way to prove that we're actually doing controlled solar sailing in a CubeSat. My LightSail 2 preview conversation with Bruce Betts and Jason Davis continues after this break. Stay with us for What's Up and a special solar sailing explainer from Bill Nye. Forty years ago, my professor Carl Sagan shared his dream of exploring the cosmos with solar sails. The Planetary Society's LightSail 2 will soon become the first small spacecraft to be propelled only by the light of the sun. I'm Bill Nye, and I'll be there as a rocket carries our craft into orbit. Tens of thousands of members have made this day possible. Already part of our LightSail team? Thank you. It's never too late to join us. Learn how at planetary.org slash join. Welcome back to a special Planetary Radio LightSail 2 preview. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with my colleagues, Bruce Betts and Jason Davis. I want to come back to that topic of communication in a moment. But before we do, Jason, let's go back to the Falcon Heavy. It's interesting. I have come to think of this mission as uh, sort of uh, a bus with uh, th- several stops along the way where passengers are getting off. Yeah, it, this is a pretty interesting mission for SpaceX in particular. Um, the first reason that doesn't necessarily have to do with the bus piece is that this will be the first time the Department of Defense has used a rocket with a reusable with reusable boosters. So the first time they've done that with uh, SpaceX. Actually, I'm sure people will immediately say, what about the space shuttle? So I'm going to take that back um, and say <laughs> the first time with SpaceX's reusable boosters um, that flew back to land. The mission then itself is um, it's going to three different orbits and dropping off all sorts of different payloads at each orbital stop. The first orbit, it's going to drop off some CubeSats and one other small sat. Second orbit, we're first off the rocket, and that's into a um, circular orbit about 720 kilometers high. Um, It's going to drop off uh, some other small sats there. And then the second spot for the upper stage with all the payloads on it will be a circular orbit um, about 720 kilometers high. Prox-1 will be the first spacecraft off of the rocket at that point. There'll be some more small satellites, and then um, there'll be a six-satellite payload called Cosmic Two. That was developed between NOAA here in the U.S. and um, the uh, Taiwanese Space Agency. It's an experiment to measure the temperature and pressure of Earth's atmosphere. The third stop then is in an orbit even higher, and uh, that's where the rocket will deploy the final payload. Um, It's a space weather experiment from the Air Force called DSX. So um, yeah, 24 different spacecraft, three different orbits. Um, It's going to be a lot to watch. Bruce, remind us, how did LightSail come to be a a part of this big crowd? We were looking for a launch, and we needed a high enough orbit where the solar radiation pressure, the light pressure that we use for solar sailing, would actually dominate over the atmospheric drag from having a little tiny spacecraft and a big giant sail. And even though we think of like 400 kilometers up as being space, there's still enough atmosphere that that drags things down. And that's what happened to LightSail 1. We knew it would, got dragged in after a week or 10 days. Well, in this case, we it's, it's trickier to find a launch higher, especially if you don't have tens of millions of dollars in your pocket to buy your own mm-hmm. rocket. And we didn't. And so we uh, partnered with Georgia Tech and they were proposing to the University Nanosat program the Prox-1 spacecraft, but they were looking for a a partner. And so we partnered with them and they won the competition for a student-built spacecraft. And it was designed to include 
our spacecraft inside and go to this 720 kilometer orbit, which would be high enough where the radiation pressure dominates over the solar, the atmospheric drag. Simple. <laughs> nice serendipitous result. So back to that issue of communication, but not just communication, uh, but communication and, and command, which is which is a challenge always for any team that has a, a spacecraft uh, off of this planet. How's that going to work? Well, we'll use uh, four different ground stations on Earth. The primary ground station is at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and that's what we use for LightSail 1, but also they have flown numerous CubeSats over the years and communicate with them from there. And then we also have uh, tracking stations at Purdue and Georgia Tech, and then particularly useful for coverage is one at Kauai Community College in Hawaii because it's at a lower latitude and this orbit is a 24 degree inclination. So it's it doesn't come over the higher latitudes as often. Uh, and so we use, everything's coordinated out of Cal Poly and then received or transmitted depending on where the spacecraft is. So you've just answered my next question. It's the Cal Poly team, our partners there, who will actually do the communication with LightSail? Yes. And uh, they've also, under John Bellardo there, developed the software that's being used on the spacecraft, uh, including communication and different routines that we'll use. Although the more of the team will participate in the process, and we already have planned a number of our communications based upon what we plan to do in space. All right, here's a topic which, um, oh, I don't know, puts you through a lot of heck, if not hell. Working with the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, to uh, get permission to talk to our spacecraft. Tell us about that. Yeah, oddly enough, we wanted to talk to our spacecraft. And if you uh, <laughs> use a, a radio to do that, then you're subject to FCC regulations, which are subject or participate in International Telecommunications Union protocols. So there basically was a, a large, complex process to get the free radio frequency allotted and agreed upon by all the different players, also the International Amateur Radio Union. And there were, there were changes in regulations and delays and bureaucrats disagreeing with bureaucrats. In the end, uh, the, the bottom line is it, it all worked out and we have a license to operate our little tiny transmitter in space and communicate with it from our transmitters on the ground. Man, another reason space is hard. How automated will the operation of LightSail be for, for either of you? I mean, you already said, Bruce, uh, on each of its orbits, as we try to raise that orbit, it's going to have to reorient itself. What, a 90-degree turn twice uh, uh, for each one of those. Is that going to have to be commanded from Earth by human beings, or is LightSail going to be handling that on its own? LightSail will handle that on its own. Uh, there are key points in the mission that we retain control from the Earth to do those things. So deployment of the solar panels and deployment of the solar sail being the two most notable that happens uh, through Earth command, but just taking care of itself happens automatically. So orienting itself, depending on what mode we put it in, it orients itself relative to the Earth's magnetic field to optimize communications. 
it's always in the process of uh, charging its batteries and keeping track of the batteries. There are a lot of software things in place to deal with uh, possible issues a lot more than we had on LightSail 1, so that detects some of its own problems and attempts to fix them through rebooting processes or rebooting the entire spacecraft, in fact. So it's a combination, but once we get to that solar sailing, it's an automated operation. We just couldn't count on commanding it regularly enough to command every everything that goes on. Yeah, that would have been quite a job for somebody or for several somebodies. As the program manager for LightSail, I can kind of imagine what you're going to be up to during this spacecraft operations period. Uh, Jason, uh, what do you expect to be uh, doing as our embedded reporter? Every time there is a major mission milestone, obviously, we will um, be talking about it. We'll have uh, regular coverage on the blog with everything that um, everything that happens. Um, we'll also try to cover uh, some of the minor stuff as well, um, you know, in between my milestones that may not be uh, as notable to the general public, but for you know some of our members that like to really get the nitty-gritty details, um, we'll definitely cover some of that as well. And then we'll also have some, a lot of resources online if you want to keep up with the mission, specifically uh, how the spacecraft is doing. We will have a dashboard where you'll be able to go and see telemetry coming in from the spacecraft and see what its last reported values for a whole bunch of different things are. Um, in fact, we'll even have a, a spot where you can download some of the raw data if you want to play with it yourself. There'll also be a spot on that dashboard where you can enter in um, your location and get past predictions um, for when the spacecraft might be visible for you. This time it's flying a little bit closer to the equator than LightSail 1 did, so not as many people will be able to see it. We mentioned some of that on the sail.planetary.org website right now. But um, once the sail is deployed, um, you know, we expect that you will be able to see it depending on your orientation and how the spacecraft's oriented. So we'll have all that information up and um, tell you where to look in the sky if, um, if you hopefully want to catch a glimpse of it. And a lot of this stuff is available right now at uh, planetary.org. And of course, thanks to uh, Jason and others, uh, it's going to be a big presence on all of the uh, Planetary Society's social media. And I should say here on Planetary Radio as well. Bruce, how long does LightSail need to do what we hope it's going to do for us to say, yes, this was a successful demonstration of solar sailing by a CubeSat? After the sail deploys, we've defined our primary mission as a month after that to demonstrate controlled solar sailing, changing the orbit the way we expect to change the orbit. Depending on how things work with tracking the spacecraft, that may happen within days or it may be weeks before we're able to do that. We anticipate changing the orbit by up to a few hundred meters per day. We have two ways to track the spacecraft. One is just through the Air Force and their standard tracking of all spacecraft and delivering orbital elements that describe the orbits from that. But we're also partnering with the International Laser Arranging Service, and we have little tiny corner cube reflectors on the spacecraft. So various stations around the uh, world will be shooting lasers up and trying to hit light sail. And if they do, then they'll get an instantaneous measurement of exactly where it is or quite precisely anyway. So that may enable us to determine things even faster if it, if it works right. And that sounds like a fun game for them to be playing. I want to say, <laughs> I'm just, I'm proud to live on a planet that has 
an, an international laser, what'd you say, ranging service? Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> and so we applied to have them do this and they accepted us. And so uh, it's, it's moving forward. Cool job. When can we expect to see the first pictures, the first images from the cameras on LightSail? Well, again, if things go well, there will be some very boring pictures in the first uh, two, three, four days or so. So when the spacecraft panels are still closed, we will take uh, test pictures from the cameras and download a couple of those. And so we'll just show kind of the whatever lights leaking in, we'll see the deployment motor and you know some wires and exciting things like that. Once we deploy the solar panels a few days into the mission, then the, the cameras are on those panels, and we plan to take pictures and hopefully have those out and released, hopefully even before sail deployment. And then we will take a whole sequence of images from the two different fisheye lenses looking different directions and hopefully create movies, pseudo-movies, uh, images every few seconds of this three-minute deployment that will actually show them the deployment. Now, uh, we should get thumbnails of that within a day or two after the uh, sail deploys, and then it'll depend on communications passes how, how long it takes to download the images, the larger images. Can't wait. Jason, where are you going to be for the launch? I, I suspect you won't be very far from me. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, as far as I know, I will be at the uh, Saturn V Center, um, which is where uh, a lot of Planetary Society members who have tickets to view the launch with us will be. Alternatively, I would be out at the uh, NASA press site, but um, I think we're kind of still working out who's going to be where. But either way, I will be uh, right there at the launch watching it go, just like you. <laughs> yes. And what will be the best way for, for uh, people listening to us now and everybody else to follow you know, moment by moment, uh, what happens uh, as we count down to the line? Planetary.org always has um, the latest and greatest news and things we put out, um, as well as our social media accounts are usually the same way. Um, and for the launch itself, SpaceX.com will have the live stream. We'll probably embed that on our homepage as well, so people can just one-stop shop, come to our website, and um, watch it all happen. And anybody who hasn't watched uh, the SpaceX live coverage of uh, these launches that they do, uh, you're missing out. It it's, makes for great television, if, if I do say so myself. And, of course, uh, Planetary Society uh, Twitter is uh, at Explore Planets. Guys, thank you for this uh, preview, and uh, go light sail. Yay! Go light sail. <laughs> Yay! That's Bruce Betts, the light sail program manager for the Planetary Society. Also our chief scientist, and and by the way, as you might expect, he'll be joining us again in just a moment or two here for this week's What's Up. And Jason Davis, our digital editor at the Society, the embedded reporter for uh, many years now with LightSail. As promised, we see the return of the chief scientist of the <laughs> Planetary Society. You've been away so long. It's Bruce Betts uh, back to do what we do every week. We only get to report on LightSail every now and then although maybe uh, more frequently in the coming weeks if all goes well, right? Totally. It'll be the return <laughs> of Light Sail 2, just like the return of Bruce Betts, the revenge of Bruce Betts. I want to see that sequel. Um, <laughs> tell us about that great sky that Light Sail's headed into. 
<laughs> nice segue. <laughs> Thank you. I think the party's in the evening with uh, Jupiter already up in the early evening, looking super bright over in the east, brighter than any star in the sky, hanging out to the left of the dimmer but redder Antares, the uh, bright reddish red giant star in Scorpius, can give you a nice chance to learn the constellation Scorpius. And over kind of the other direction to the left is uh, Sagittarius. So it's uh, it's a lovely, lovely setup. And, and Saturn's rising not too long after uh, sunset and will appear in the east looking yellowish over in Sagittarius. And so both good targets for visible looks or binoculars or telescopes. We move on to this week in space history. It was 15 years ago, 2004, that Spaceship One became the first private human spaceflight. I have to say it again. I'm rubbing it in, I know, but uh, I was uh, on the tarmac watching it head into space. It was uh, one of the great moments. You know, you've rubbed it in so many times, I'm starting to believe you were actually responsible for it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter Dumandis and some other people had a lot to do with it, but uh, I played my part. (laughs) All right, uh, we'll move away from that and move on to Random Space Fact. Good boy. Apollo 10 was the only Apollo crew, all of whose members went on to fly subsequent missions aboard Apollo spacecraft. John Young later commanded Apollo 16, Gene Cernan Apollo 17, and uh, Tom Stafford commanded Apollo Soyuz test project, the Apollo side of that. So nobody should feel bad for these guys because everybody always says, you must have wanted to just drop down those last few (laughs) miles, kilometers, right? Why didn't you just do it? Uh, Well, they got their reward. Exactly. All right, so we move on to the trivia contest. And in an obscure trivia about LightSail 2, I asked you, what is the name of the alloy that the LightSail spacecraft booms, the, the things that pull the sail out and give it structure, what are they made of? How do we do, Matt? First, I have to share this response from Perry with you. Perry in New York, New York. Uh, as our boss says, the town's so nice they named it twice. Uh, you know, every every time when people fill out the form to enter the competition, it says, tell us how to pronounce your name. Doesn't mean we won't mangle it, that I won't mangle it, but uh, at least we get a shot at it. So Perry says, how to pronounce my name? Exhale air and vibrate your vocal cords while changing the shape of your mouth and upper airway to modulate the sound. <laughs> yeah, good, okay, huh? I suppose that's right. There were interesting responses this time because the majority of people came up with something which was not exactly what you were looking for. There were a few who totally got lost. I mean, there's Tim in Edmond, Oklahoma, who uh, really put in a great effort to try and find it, even checked on the LightSail Academic Resources page, but didn't come up with anything. He said, would Dr. Betts have been kind enough to accept simply metal? (laughs) (laughs) No. Here's our winner, Daniel in Forest Hills, New York. Get this. He is a past winner. It has been actually more than five and a half years since he last won the competition. Dedication. Here is his response. The LightSail 2 booms are made of cobalt steel, he says, if I'm reading the spacecraft specifications in your LightSail facts 
or fact correctly. Is he right? Yes. That's what we said they were made of. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you have reservations. I have reservations, and, I, and I'm not a metallurgist, so uh, maybe one out there can, can correct me. But the, the alloy is, uh, its old trademark named is Elgiloy. It is indeed cobalt, but it's a cobalt-chromium-nickel-molybdium alloy. And so I would think, and I, this question led me to find this on our website, that uh, it would not be called cobalt steel because uh, it doesn't necessarily have or has very little carbon and iron. It's mostly cobalt and uh, some and chromium. But I'm going to take it because, you know, we said that's what it was. So <laughs> Elgiloy or cobalt steel or a cobalt alloy or any more gory detail of what this thing with wonderful magical strength and anti-corrosion properties is that uh, Air Force Research Laboratory created our booms made of this stuff. Daniel, therefore, you squeaked through. Also, gratitude and congratulations to everybody who came up with the right uh, answer, as did a minority of entrants uh, who uh, responded with Elgiloy. By the way, Daniel adds, we're all hoping for and looking forward to the successful launch and mission of LightSail 2 later this very month, Ad Astra. Daniel, thank you. You are going to receive a priceless Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid, a 200-point itelescope.net astronomy account on that worldwide nonprofit network of telescopes, and a copy of Chasing New Horizons inside the epic first mission to Pluto by our friends Alan Stern and uh, David Grinspoon. The paperback version of that uh, terrific book has, uh, has just come out. I have for you this week not one, but two poems inspired by your question. Wow. Here is Gene at Fairchild Air Force Base in the state of Washington. The nautical greeting was once ahoy on sailing ships of yore. Winds were what the sails employed to move from shore to shore. Photons will now drive us on as light sail 2 deploys for mylar panels just microns thick on booms of Elgiloy. Nice. Isn't that great? Nice work. Nice work. Congratulations on that. And we will finish with our poet laureate, that's Dave Fairchild in Shawnee, Kansas. You want to take a sail and extend it while in space? So link it to metallic booms, a mylar-type embrace. An alloy mix of steel and some cobalt will be fine. We're headed for a winner on the photon finish line. <laughs> <laughs> Two great efforts. All right. From what type of spacecraft will the Cosmic 2 set of spacecraft, launching with LightSail 2, from what type of spacecraft will they be receiving signals from in order to study the Earth's atmosphere? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. That's interesting. I can't wait to find out. You have until Wednesday, June 26th, with any luck, two days after the launch of LightSail and these other spacecraft on the Falcon Heavy. Wednesday, June 26th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us your answer and you might be the one who wins a Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid, a 200-point itelescope.net account. And this time, still got a lot of books here, a lot of great books, from our friend Rod Pyle, who is also the editor-in-chief of uh, Ad Astra magazine. He's written so many books lately. This one is Heroes of the Space Age, and it's really about seven books in one. They are profiles 
of people uh, from Yuri Gagarin to Pete Conrad of Apollo 12 and, and other things. It's a terrific little book, and uh, it might be yours with those other prizes. We're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about whether disturbing childhood jingles actually tell us that we should be calling Saturn the rosy. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> good night. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of pose. Uh, he's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society and the program manager for LightSail, who joins us every week here for What's Up. I've saved the most fun for last. Planetary Society CEO Bill Nye worked with our video producer, Merck Boyan, to create a fun introduction to solar sailing. I hope this specially edited version of the video soundtrack will make you want to visit our special LightSail site at sail.planetary.org. That's where you can watch the video in all its glory. Hey, hey, Bill Nye here at the Planetary Society talking about solar sailing. Now, most spacecraft get pushed through space with some kind of rocket fuel. The momentum of the fuel going this way pushes the spacecraft that way. There are a few different types of fuel that are used in space travel, but they all come out of an onboard fuel tank. So they all eventually run out of gas, if you will. And when they do, that's it. They're done. No more propellant means no more push. But a solar sail spacecraft like this one doesn't need ordinary rocket fuel. Instead, it gets pushed through space with a free supply of energy, the pressure of light. Light is made up of particles we call photons. So imagine this ping pong ball is a photon, a single particle of light. Now photons weigh nothing. They have no mass, but they still have momentum. If we have a spacecraft that's low enough mass and big and reflective enough, then photons can give it a little push. Each photon imparts just a tiny bit of momentum, but the sun pumps out billions and billions of them every second. Now imagine this happy cookie sheet is the reflective sail of a spacecraft. Whoa. It gets a push through space. In the vacuum of space, it really works. Solar sailing is a game changer. These spacecraft can be steered a lot like sailing ships at sea. They can be pushed away from the sun or turn and tack toward the sun. Now someday soon we could be sailing around the solar system with the unlimited energy of sunlight. And maybe one day in the future, we could even sail one to another star. But of course, one test is worth a thousand expert opinions, so we at the Planetary Society are going to fly our LightSail 2 spacecraft and learn more about actual flight by light. You might think that a spacecraft has to be a huge thing made with a lot of money from a big government agency, but LightSail is a small rectangular box of a satellite called a CubeSat, and it was crowdfunded by amazing everyday people who are inspired by space exploration, like this guy. Huh? Me? Yes, you! Or if you contributed or pitched in to our Kickstarter campaign, or if you're a Planetary Society member, this is your spacecraft. Over 40,000 human peoples made this project happen. And, and there was one dog. Well, thank you. Back in 2015, we flew LightSail 1. It was a test flight in a pretty low Earth orbit. 
The mechanics of the spacecraft worked and we even snapped a stunning photo of the sail in space. It's beautiful. And soon, LightSail 2 will ride on a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket. We'll go to a higher orbit and do some more complex maneuvers. The shiny sail will be visible from here on Earth for about a year. The descendants of LightSail 2 may one day travel to the stars. If I may, how cool is that? Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our high-flying members. Mary Liz Bender is our associate producer. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which was arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. I'm Matt Kaplan, at Astra, and go light sail. <laughs> <laughs>